Welcome to our podcast here at Encounter Church in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We pray that as you listen to this message, you will not only be challenged, but changed. Our desire is to be a place where life starts, love happens, and purpose is revealed. If you're in our area, join us on Sunday mornings at 9 or 11 a.m. and every first Wednesday at 6.45 p.m. For more information about our church, you can visit us at EncounterChurch.today or follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or Periscope. Just search eChurchBR. We invite you now to open your hearts to receive what God has for you. Here's today's message. Wow, wow. I'm just telling you right now, we had an incredible service at 9 o'clock this morning. I just want you to know that. And I'm more excited about the 11 o'clock than I am the 9 o'clock. And you better be excited because you're in the 11 o'clock because you weren't in the 9 o'clock. But you know, as a pastor, I realized that perhaps one of the most important challenges that we face in our lives can be sometimes the least talked about in church. And what I want to talk about in that is this, doubt, doubt, doubt. Say with me, doubt, doubt. Even the most sincere Christian battles doubts at one time or another. But few people are ever comfortable talking about it. Why? Because when we start talking about our doubts, it's tended to be regarded as a sign of weakness. And so we don't want to come across as being weak or distrusting God Because it can be looked at that we don't have an intimacy or a connection or a commitment to God. So so we keep real quiet about it. I know I talk about this a lot, but small groups. I, I just want you to realize the importance of small groups. Here's one of the reasons right here. Because you're going to be struggling with some things in your life. And you're going to be struggling and you wish you had someone to talk to. And that's why you need to get in a group. Because you need to be around other people that you feel comfortable talking to. Sharing with your doubts, your frustrations and your fears. Why? Because we all have them. I've said this before, but I, I, I don't tell you everything. As the pastor, I don't stand up here and tell you everything that's going on in my life. But I just want you to know I'm in trouble if I'm not talking to someone. And so we all need a someone that we can talk to and just to open up and allow God to use them as a tool to help us grow in our spiritual walk. So if you haven't signed up for a small group today, sign up, go online, get a part of that. So trusting God, trusting God is really the thought. I'm going to be dealing with doubt, but the hope is that we would get to a place where we're trusting God. I, I pray that every one of you says, I, I want to trust God. I believe that's where you want to be. At least you may say, I don't maybe know how to, but I want to get there. I know there's a need, even if I maybe don't know how there's a need. Well, we're going to help you with that how today. And we're going to help you get to a place where you trust him with everything, where you trust him with everyone, and you trust trust him with your present and future life. Someone once said it this way, the Bible says it, I believe it, and that settles it. I want to live like that. I want to have my faith so strong like that. I want my faith to be so loud that I cannot hear my doubts. But I'm not fully there yet. I'm just being honest with you today. I'm not fully there yet. And I know that's not most people's experience because we're not there. Because we have struggles. We have doubts. We have questions. We have frustration. And for everyone that you know that maybe has that rock solid faith, my God, you know a whole lot more people who are dealing with being cynical and doubting and having questions in their life. But I want to add this today. I believe honest skepticism is not a bad thing. 
And I'm going to show you why today through this message. Because when we're real and when we're open and when we're transparent, it leaves the door open for God to come in. It also leaves the door open for other things. But it allows us the opportunity to experience God in a new way. And you may say, well, why are you talking about this on Father's Day? Trust and doubt. Because I remember my story. I want to share some of my story with me. A guy in the church at the nine o'clock service said, Pastor, I've known you for like 13 years and I never knew this part of your story. In 91, I came over here to Bible college. I came to Jimmy Swaggart Bible College, August of 91. I was 20 years of age. Came over here to America because I knew God had called me to preach the gospel. And I was ready to do whatever it took. And I remember just coming over here with such a passion to live for God. Backtrack, and, and when I was 10 years of age, I was in a school in England, and we were being te- taught in English literature class. And in our class, we were, given a, 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 we were being shown how to properly write a letter. I know today we don't even really know what that is, but you had to slope the address and you had to have dear such and such and then on the bottom, yours sincerely. And it was all done properly. So the exercise was, we're going to write a letter and we want you to address it to yourself and tell yourself where you see yourself 10 years from now. So here I am, I've been in England, I finally get married or in America, finally get married. I'm back in England. I'm going through my old school things, and I find a book with the letter I wrote to myself 10 years earlier. And in that letter, it says, one day I will live in America, and I will preach the gospel. As a 10-year-old kid, I knew that passion. I knew that call. I knew what God had given me. So here I am in America fulfilling that. But then what happens, you know, you're in God's place, so everything goes great and everything's hunky-dory, yeah? I met a young lady and long story short, I'm back in England, finished a year of college and I'm back in England and in the middle of the night, I get a phone call and say I'm pregnant. Picture this, here I am, this God kid, away at Bible college. You've got to be careful, sometimes the most vulnerable times of our lives are when everything's going good. Because we can let our guard down and think, I've got this. And so here I am in England, and I'm devastated. My whole world is rocked. I wasn't brought up like that. I knew that that wasn't what you were supposed to do. And I was rocked. My whole world was rocked. And I remember the enemy, how he would play with me. Because as I said, from a young age, I knew God's call. I would have dreams in my bed, you know, as teenagers and young people would have dreams of being sports stars and all that. And I had those too. But my dreams were me standing in front of hundreds and thousands of people and preaching the gospel. That was the dreams I had from a kid. I knew what God had called me to do. So here I am, I'm battling with all this. And I battled suicide for weeks and months in England. Because here's how Satan played. He didn't steal those dreams from me. He still showed me those dreams. But at the end of those dreams, he said, look what you could have had. But you blew it. You'll never be used of God. You're worthless. God could never use you. And so months and weeks, I battled suicide. That wasn't even close to who I was. I was a very confident person. I was brought up in a Christian family. My parents are pastors and leaders. You know my mum and dad. And on our house, our house used to be a one-story house. In England, that's called a bungalow. It was a bungalow. And my dad built an upstairs. My dad's an incredible carpenter. And the stairway up to my bedroom was solid wood. 
And at the bottom of the stairs was the front door that was glass. And for weeks and months, when I would stand at the top of the stairs, they were so steep, the enemy would say, just throw yourself down because you'll go through the window and you'll just take your life and it will be over. And every time I came down those stairs, that was the thoughts that was battling in my mind. The roads in England, if you've ever seen them on the movies, they are just like that. One lane over here is as wide as a two-lane road in England. They're very wide with steep banks on each side where I lived in the country. And you would be facing, I'd be coming home at night and the enemy would say, don't slow down on the corner. Just keep going, take your life. Tears streaming down my face. A semi coming for me that we call in England a lorry. And it would be coming for us and the enemy would say, just turn the wheel and just go in front of it. Let that thing steam right over you because you're useless, you're worthless, you had everything. Tears streaming down my face. And I cried out to God. It wasn't until Brittany, my oldest daughter, was seven months old that I saw her for the very first time physically. I'd seen her in a picture. I was still in England. I came over here to make arrangements to take care of her financially and to support her because I knew whether I'm a husband or not, I'm still a dad. And so I had responsibilities to take care of and I came over here. And while I was here, I looked at that beautiful child and And I looked at her mother, Tabitha, at that time, and I said, you know what, I want this to try and work. I want to do everything I can to make a family and make this work. I invited them to come over to England that Christmas time for three weeks, and they came over and spent the three weeks with us over Christmas. And and I knew I was going to make a decision, and the decision I was going to make was this. I want to be a husband. I want to be a father. I want to have a family. And I remember just battling with that decision, Because that decision brought such doubt to me. I was a confident kid. I was brought up to feel like I could accomplish anything because that's how my parents raised me. They didn't raise me with fantasy, but they raised me to be confident. I was always confident. I was always the one that stood up. I was the leader. Even as a kid, I was the leader. I had confidence. But I was so shocked as I sat there knowing a decision needed to be made for my future. And I doubted every core of me. I couldn't be a dad. I couldn't be a provider. I couldn't be the leader that my family needed. And it shocked me that that doubt was so overwhelming that I literally felt paralyzed. Paralyzed. You can't make that decision. You can't do that. And as I began to think about that part of my story... You know, I'm so thankful for where I'm at right now. I'm remarried to an incredible lady called Kelly. We've got six incredible kids. And things didn't work out originally as I thought, but God had a plan and a purpose. But I remember I wouldn't be here today if I would have allowed my doubts to control my life. And I began to think about all this with Father's Day and the doubts that we can have as dads because I know dads, it's a big responsibility to lead a home and to be the provider and be the leader. And we can doubt ourselves and that's exactly how Satan wants us to feel. He wants us to feel worthless, helpless, hopeless, that we've got no abilities. But then I began to think and I thought, but you know what, there's even more than that. Satan doesn't just want me to doubt myself. He wants me to doubt God. He wants me to question God and the ability that God has to take care of my life and to lead me and guide me. Look at this statement. When you cannot see the hand of God, when you cannot see God's hand, you've got to trust his heart. 
Sometimes in life we can look and, and it's great when we see God moving in our lives, but what when we don't see what we think we need to see? It's at that time when we don't see the moving and the operation of God that we've got to get to a place where we don't doubt God, but we've got to trust His heart. It's tough in a sin-saturated world sometimes to trust God. When it feels like there's more pain than healing, more discomfort than comfort, more turmoil than peace. But when life gets tough, and we know it will, how will you respond? How will you respond? Look at this thought. It's hard to worship and serve a God I cannot trust. Let's be honest today. It's hard. I don't feel like I can trust you, God, so it's hard for me to give my life to you. It's hard for me to serve you exactly what the enemy wants you to do. But that's one of the biggest decisions of my life right there. Will I trust in God and trust that He's good even when life is not? You see, our response to the pains and challenges determine how it's determined so much about our future. Because if I decide to trust God in my life, I'm going to grow in my faith. I'm going to have a deeper intimacy with God. I'm going to have a greater confidence that despite what is seen, by faith I see it's not the end yet. But if I allow my doubts to rule and reign in my life, my heart will begin to drift away. I'll wake up daily consumed by that fear and that doubt. Disappointments will rule in my life and I'll feel so separated and away from the one who's the only one that can heal me, restore me. And help me. But here's another question. But pastor, how can I trust a God I don't know? To know God requires faith. So if you want to know God, you've got to trust God. I know that sounds crazy, but you can say, well, how do I know God? You've got to trust Him. You've got to give something to get something. You've got to trust God. God. Believe in God. And can we talk about that today? Is that okay? I want to give you four points when it comes to really trusting and helping to establish that trust and to eliminate that doubt in each and every one of our lives. The first thought is this, the childhood shift. I call it the childhood shift because there's going to be a day, and you've probably had that day, most of you in here, but there's going to be a day when you look at the stories of the Bible in a different way. Remember Moses and the burning bush? Remember Jonah and the whale? It's a good one. David and Goliath, one of my favorites. Daniel in the lion's den. Wow, that's incredible. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in the fiery furnace. We could go on and on recalling the stories that we were taught and told in Sunday school and in church. But then there's a shift because we suddenly realize I've got to make a decision whether I believe all this is true or not. Because we begin to have questions. Unfortunately, today with technology, it seems like those questions are coming a lot earlier in a child's life. But we begin to look and we begin to question, what if all this God stuff isn't true? What what if I'm just imagining that there is a God? What about if they're teaching me about the wrong God and I'm worshipping Something that's not truly God. Come on, we want to believe God's word. But suddenly it just got more difficult. Why? Because our childhood acceptance gives way to curiosity and cognitive development. 
which forces you and I to consider what is true and truth for myself. I've got to believe it for me, not because you just told me. And that's why we call it a personal experience or a personal relationship with God, because it has to be personal for you. I said it has to be personal. Everyone for themselves must experience the truth of God to know the existence of God in my life for myself. Thank God as parents, we lead our children in that direction, but we cannot make that decision for them for the rest of their lives. We have to, each one of us have to make the decision. Am I going to trust God or not? Am I going to believe God or am I going to doubt God in my life? I remember a number of years ago, probably 14 years ago, we were at a youth camp in in Alabama. One of my uncles, Philip Cameron, spoke for us that night. And in the middle of this message, he shared this thought, and I've never forgot it. He said, if you convinced me, and if you proved to me that the whole Bible was fake and phony, if you were able to prove to me that Jesus wasn't the Son of God, and He never lived, and He never walked on this earth, He said, if you were to prove all of those things to me, he said, just leave me in my fantasy world. He said, because nothing has ever given me peace like Jesus. He said, nothing has ever given me love like Jesus. Nothing has ever given me the comfort and the strength and the life that I have. He said, so leave me in my fantasy and just let me believe a lie. But I'm here to tell you today that Jesus is not a lie. He's the truth. He's the way and he's the life and it's documented truth. But we've got to believe that. You've got to believe that. That's why we changed the name of our church. We want people to encounter God for themselves. We want you to have a face-to-face experience with God that will change your name, your destiny, your aim, your life in every way that you would know. Come on, I know that Jesus is real. I know it without a shadow of a doubt. Some people have actually argued this, that if you have doubts in your life, then you don't have strong faith. But I want to look at it this way today. You might not have strong faith in your life unless you push through some honest doubts. It's not wrong to doubt. It's wrong to stay in doubt. But I believe that some of our greatest faith can come because we've pushed through some things that we've had to make some decisions about and had to find out whether it's true or not. Because you've got to get it from your head into your heart. You've got to get it from knowledge to experience. One thing I've realized about faith is this. Faith cannot be real, reasoned logically. So often we want a logical, rational approach to life. We want to have everything perfectly laid out, verified and constant and proven that can support our faith. We want an A, B, C, D. That's how we want. And if we can get it that way, then that's great. But faith by its very nature is illogical. What do I mean by that? Look at this. Faith requires trust in something or someone that's not always predictable or understandable by our human standards. And that's what makes it faith. To trust no matter what. I came to a decision many years ago that I'm happy with that. Because if I can't figure it out, that's good. Because if I can't put God into this head, because if God can fit into my head, He ain't God. You know what I'm talking about? 
Because his ways are so much higher and greater than mine. So, so when there's things I don't understand and it takes faith to believe, I'm okay with that because that makes him God and not me. So what's the second area? We go through that shift and then the next thing is we want proof. We want proof. Have you ever prayed silly prayers like, God, I want to know you're true and in the morning I want to wake up and all my bedroom's going to be clean or, or just something. You know, just like that prayer, God, I need a word from you right now if you're true. There it is right there. Yeah. Someone did that once. Did you know that? They did that once and they went to it and it says, and Judas hung himself. They're like, I don't like that. And then they turned and went again and it said, whatever I said, do, do it quickly. I mean, so watch out for that one. But we want the proof. We want the proof. That's nothing new, wanting the proof. Anyone ever heard of Doubting Thomas? Doubting Thomas was actually one of the 12 disciples of Christ. And it's amazing how such a small portion of his life became his identity and how we still know him. And label him and call him as that today. But the rest of the story will show us something today. That great doubters can actually be great people of faith. Let's read his story quickly. John 20 verse 24 through 29. It says, now Thomas, also known as Didymus. I mean, what a name. Poor guy. He would have been rapping today. You know, my name is Didymus. I'm in the house. You know, he's up here rapping today. But his name was Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. Can I just mess with you a little bit? Is that cool? He, he, he just didn't feel like going to church that particular Sunday. Jesus showed up to his disciples and Thomas missed it because he stayed in bed that Sunday. He didn't want to get out of bed. I'm just saying right now, you can stay in bed any Sunday, but you may miss Jesus showing up. I just, 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 want, to pl- just want to mess with you a little bit right there. Okay. So the other disciples told him, don't be in that place where other people are having to tell you something that you can experience for yourself. And they said, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and I put my finger where the nails were and I put my hand in his side, I will not believe. Say, I want proof. That's what Thomas said, known as doubting Thomas, because he said, unless I see and feel it, I won't believe it. And a week later, that's next Sunday, by the way. Did you catch that? A week later, <laughs> his disciples were in the house and Thomas was with them. He won't miss in two weeks of church. That's all I'm saying. He missed Jesus last week. He ain't missing out. He, he's here every week now, just in case Jesus shows up. And I love this little piece that the Bible gives. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood amongst them. He didn't come through the door, the window. He just, bam, he's right there in the middle of them. And he says to them, peace be with you. Then Jesus said to Thomas. He had come before, but Thomas was missing. He came back with a mission, and his mission this week was Thomas. God's mission today is you. You're his mission today. And Jesus looked at Thomas, and he said to him, look what he said. Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hands and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Don't be faithless any longer, believe, one translation says. The Bible doesn't say that the disciples told Jesus that Thomas had said that because God hears what we say. God knows your doubts today is what I'm saying. And God is here today and saying, look, here's the answer. Because the answer is in what? In him. He said, touch me. Touch me. 
God is your answer today if you'll just push through. Remember the lady with the issue of blood? She'd lost everything, and the Bible says she grew worse. She's now broke and worse because she spent everything. But what did she do? She pushed through, and she touched Jesus, and healing came to her body. You've got to push through your doubts, your fears. You've got to get to Jesus, because then Thomas says, Oh, my goodness, you're my Lord and my God. He had a revelation now of God, Jesus, in a new way. And then Jesus said to him, Because you had seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen, but yet have believed. That's you and I. There's more blessing that can come. The Message Bible says it's even better blessings are in store for those who believe without seeing. You see, Thomas longed for certainty. He wanted to believe, but he didn't trust God completely. Does that sound familiar today? We want to commit everything to him, but we kind of hold back because of fear of like stuff like this, that we don't feel that God's got our best interests at heart. But here's what Thomas learned that day when he said, you are my Lord and God. He learned there's a difference between believing in and believing. You can believe in God, but you need to take it to the next level. You've got to believe God. You've got to believe. For sure, Thomas believed in God. He walked with Jesus. He was one of the disciples for three years. He knew who Jesus was. But that day he touched Jesus and Jesus became Lord to him. Because once he had his answers or his questions answered, he no longer just believed in Jesus. He believed Jesus. He believed him. So here stands a one-time doubter who became a faith-filled believer. The rest of his story we aren't often told, but so convinced of his life now and serving Jesus, he leaves the comfort of his home and he travels over to India. Thomas is known as the first evangelist to take the gospel to this part of the world. And when his message and faith became threatened and they told him, you need to denounce your faith or die, Thomas stood firm. And history tells us that a spear was driven through his body and he became a martyr of Christ. You see, here's what his story teaches us, because we've got to learn something from it today. His story teaches us that doubt is not the end of real faith, but oftentimes the beginning. It's the beginning. That's why I said honest skepticism is okay when you're searching, because you're going to find it in God. Because it wasn't the end of his faith. It was the beginning, because it drove him to an experience to find the reality of truly God is. I want to challenge you to take a challenge. I'm the kind of person you challenge me, it's over, man, it's done. I rise to a challenge. I like a good challenge. Someone says it can't be done, watch out, I'm going to figure a way. I remember my little girl, I know I've shared this story before, Brittany, my oldest, she came to me one day, Barbie's head was off. It wasn't looking good for Barbie. In fact, Barbie was not fixable. There was no way that head could go back on that doll. And I said, sweetheart, I can't do it. She looked at me and she said, but daddy, you said you can do all things through Christ. He strengthens you. Yeah, challenge. Here we go. Barbie's head never moved again, but duct tapes sure did the job. Couldn't see her mouth and neck any longer, but she was there. Man, I made sure that thing. I mean, when your daughter challenges you with God's word, you've got to come to the challenge. But here's my challenge for you today. 
Maybe you're doubting. Maybe you're saying, I don't know about this stuff. Make a commitment for at least six months. Make a commitment to be here every Sunday. Make a commitment to read the Word every day. You don't have to read long. Five minutes a day. Verse a day. Make a commitment to be in prayer. Come on, make a commitment. Get in a small group. In other words, what I'm saying, if you're going to give it a try, then give it everything. Jump in, because as long as your feet are on the bottom, you're still in control. Plunge in. Give it everything. And I'm going to tell you right now what's going to happen. Can I tell you what's going to happen? Your life is going to be completely changed. Take that faith challenge. Here's another struggle. Are you ready? You don't care. You maybe haven't said that out loud, but you've thought that. And you've sure posted that. God, I don't think you really care. Can I look deeper at that today? Man, I'm running out of time. Who's going to give me five more minutes today? There you go. All right, that's another hour right there I just got. Mark 4, 37 through 38. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into that boat so that it was already filling. But he, Jesus, was in the stern asleep on a pillow. I love that. He's brought his pillow along. He's having a nap in the back. And they awoke him and said, notice the storm didn't wake him, but their desperation did. And Jesus said to him, teacher, or they said to Jesus, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? One translation, I mean, you don't care that we drown. Please note, he's in the boat with him, so he's got some skin in the game. The boat goes down, he's in trouble too. But when people read stories like this, some people are quick to point the finger and criticize them for worrying in the storm. I, I can understand where they're coming from. I said, hello, I can understand where they're coming from. Why, God? Why aren't you doing something, God? I I know you know my need because I've told you plenty of times. I'm sure I've told you enough. Hello, God, I'm really trying hard to believe you and trust you, but you just need to do something. I saw something in this story I'd never seen when I looked at it this week. Look at this. When the disciples expressed their fear and lack of trust, Jesus got up and did something. That's the opposite to what we talked about last week. Remember the friends who brought their friend to Jesus? Jesus said, when I saw their faith, Jesus said, I'm now Jesus is doing something not because of their faith, but because of their fear and lack of trust. I'm so glad today that if I don't have the faith to believe, God can still respond to my need. Amen. If I just come to him... He can still respond to the need that I have. Mark 4.39, then Jesus arose and he rebuked the wind and he said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And then he asks them a question. You've got to have the answer to this question. Verse 40, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? One translation says, do you still have No faith. It's not the amount of faith you have. Because the Bible says you can have a mustard seed of faith and you can speak to a mountain and it has to go. It's not how much faith you have, but it's where that faith is placed. Don't you trust me, Jesus is saying? Here's what he's saying to those guys. I mean, come on, for real? I mean, guys, you don't trust me? Did you think I would let anything happen to you? I wonder how many times Jesus would ask you the same similar question. Todd, why are you afraid? Katrina, why are you doubting my ability? 
Chip, you doubt that I love you? Sarah, why are you trying to do it all on your own and by yourself? Brooke, why don't you trust me? You see, here's what I see. I see there's two options. I'm a pretty simple guy, so I'm just going to simplify it for you today. I see there's two options. Here's the option. What have I got to lose? What have I got to gain? What I've got to gain is nothing. You may say, well, I gave up six of my, six of my months and, and I went to that church and I paid my tithes and I did it. Listen, you're not going to say that anyway, but you've not lost anything because you had a good time and you found some good friends. And, and, and at the worst, you, you're going to have some friends. You've got nothing to lose. But you know what you've got to gain? Everything. Come on, there's no greater peace than Jesus can give and love and comfort and strength. There's everything to gain. Well, let me just think about that. Duh! I mean, come on. There's nothing to think about. Nothing or everything. I mean, come on. But here again, here's how the enemy works. Are you ready? Here's the next point of our message today. If you're living for Jesus, you shouldn't experience trials. Oh, you're trusting in a God, but he's let you down. Oh, come on. If you're living for Jesus, you shouldn't experience trials. Our survey says, eh, eh. wrong. John 16, 33, I have told you these things that in me you will have peace. Because in this world you will have troubles. But take heart. Come on, I'm glad that's not the end of the promise right there. Because he doesn't promise just to send peace. He is peace. Because he says, if you're in me, there's going to be still troubles and struggles around. There's still going to be storms that are raging. But guess what? I have overcome the world. I am victorious over those things. Listen to what the Message Bible says, because it paints such an incredible picture. Jesus answered them and said, do you finally believe? In fact, you're about to make a run for it. Saving your own skins and abandoning me. But I'm not abandoned. The Father is with me. I have told you all this so that trusting me, you will be unshakable and assured. Oh my God. How incredible. Deeply at peace in this godless world will continue to what? You'll experience difficulties, but take heart because I have conquered the world. I love that, that I can have an unwavering peace and strength. No matter the storms that's going around me, there can be a comfort within me. You see, here's what I found in life. It's the storms that remind me about God and the need I have for Him. Because we tend to get complacent when everything's going good. We don't like to say we forgot God, but that's really what we do. But in forgetting God, here's what happens. He becomes less of a priority for us. When everyone's healthy, when there's money in the bank, when relationships and home life is awesome, we let go of God. Because it's so easy to start doing life on our own strength. I've got this. Thanks, God. When I need you, I'll I'll find you. I've I've got this. I can handle this. But the moment there's a shift, and the moment there's more month than money, the moment when your child is sick and there's a need, the moment when your marriage is on the rocks and you're struggling with addiction, who's the first one we turn back to? God or the first one we blame? 
Look at this statement. It's easy to ignore God when life is good, but he is still very appealing in the middle of a storm. Because when you're drowning, you need a life preserver. When there's a storm, you need a shelter. When you're hurting, you need a comforter. Listen to me today. God allows storms in our life for a variety of reasons, but mainly to draw us closer to him. It doesn't have to be that way, but that's how he gets our undivided attention. People have said to me all the time, why couldn't God do it another way? Oh, he could, but he doesn't have our attention. Because the lake is more appealing than church on Sunday, and the mall is better than a small group. I've I've experienced this in my life. I've learned that I've experienced Jesus a whole lot better in the valley than I have on the mountaintops. Why is that? Because I appreciate him when things are good, but I need him when they're not. Come on, I appreciate that you're there, God, but I've got this. But when there's something I don't have, God, come on, God, I need you. You've got to come through because if you don't come through, it's over. There's a difference between appreciation and need. And it's through the storms that I need, God. That's why David said in Psalms 23, verse 4, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I don't have to be afraid. Why? Because you're in it with me, God. You're with me. Here's the truth today. You can continue to doubt. But it's trust that's going to change your story. Trust is going to change your life. Because Jesus is the only one that can change your life. I've got to close this message. Michael's back here. That means I've gone over my time already. Two points just quickly. What do I do? What do I need to be reminded of in the storms of life? Number one, God's presence is with me. No matter how I feel. My feelings are going to lie to me, but his truth is there. God wants to be there, though, actively engaged, not as a passive bystander. But you determine who he is in your circumstances. Come on, Christy got it over here. She said it's good twice. God wants to be actively engaged, not a passive bystander. But who he is in your circumstances up to you. Will you allow him to be? Because it's faith that activates God. Or would you doubt him and leave the creator of the world dormant and disconnected from your need? Having Jesus in the boat with you doesn't mean storms won't rock your boat. It just means the storms won't sink your boat. Because he's not leaving, he's in it with you. Psalms 46 verse 1, God is my refuge, God is my strength, he is my very present help in trouble. In my trouble, God, your presence is there with me. Here's the second point. Not only is God with you in the storm, he's also using them for his purposes in your life. God has a higher plan and a good purpose because God loves you too much to leave you the same. Who told them that day to go in the boat? Mark 4.35, on the same day when evening came, Jesus said to the disciples, let's cross over to the other side. Jesus said to him, let's go to the other side. But he knew the forecast was a storm on the way. 
He just forgot to tell them. You know why Jesus doesn't tell us that there's going to be storms in our life? Because we wouldn't get in the boat. But you know what was waiting on the other side of that lake? There was someone who was demon possessed and bound and Jesus was on a mission and he was taking you on that mission. I'm telling you right now on the other side of your storm, there's people who are hurting and broken and wounded and they need you. And you won't have the faith to meet that need until you've gone through a storm. But when you go through a storm, you realize I know Jesus and no matter what you tell me, you're not going to sway me because I know God. The disciples didn't experience the storm because they were out of God's will. They experienced the storm because they were in the will of God. Because when you turn to God, there's nothing that will build your life like a storm. I'm out of time today. Show you this today. I hope you can see that. If you can't, it's a circle. That's God. In the middle of the circle. That's you. That's you right there. In the middle of God. You know what's going to happen in life? Troubles come. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Troubles come in life. Troubles come from all over. Why is that? Because Satan is trying to get to you. But notice this. Some things do get to us. But why is that? It's because they've had to go through God. Because God has allowed certain things to get through to you because Satan wants to destroy you. But God is using those things to build you and to make you what he wants you to be. You see, the problem is when we get these things, sometimes we say bad God and we remove ourselves. And I'm telling you, then we're in trouble. You've got to stay in God. And you've got to trust that the storms of life and the heartache and pain is because God is using those things. He's using those things to change your life. Would you stand all over this place today? Look at this scripture from 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It says, No temptation has overtaken you except as common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be what? Tempted beyond what you are able. But with that temptation, what does God say? I'll be your way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. People tell you wrongly that God says, I'll never give you anything more than you can handle. They misquote that scripture. And they say, God will never give you more than you can handle. It doesn't say that. God says, I will not tempt you. Because look at this. God often allows you to experience more than you can handle to teach you to fully trust and depend on Him. God, I'm out of depth. 
I don't know what to do with my kids. God, I don't know what to do with my marriage. God says, you're exactly where I want you to be. Because if you begin to trust me, if you begin to trust me, I can be God in your situation and your circumstance. What are you afraid of today? What are you afraid of today? Why do you still have so little faith? Trust God with everything you have. Don't hold back. Come on, trust Him with your spouse. Trust Him with your children. Trust Him with your career. Trust Him with your finances. Trust Him with your health. Trust Him with your life. Because today it's time to trust Him with no reservations. Here's what we're going to do today. You ready? They're going to begin to worship. And I know you've got doubts. I know you've got fears. I know you're going through some things right now. But what are we going to begin to do? We're going to begin to trust Jesus. We're going to begin to look to Jesus. Can we do that all over this place? Come on, just begin to look to Jesus right now.